we mistaken being popular and loved for being a leader. And I'm not talking about a Mussolini or Stalin or, or anything like that. But a leader has a vision that has to drag, a, a, drag an organization screaming and kicking sometimes towards that vision. Right now, name me three CEOs of any of the Fortune 500s who are affecting real change, who are driving real leadership, who's having, who are having the uncomfortable conversations. I'm, I, I've only worked at ad agencies and, and Pizza Hut and Toys R Us and Radio Shack. And I've never met a CEO who went, went serious, didn't put out an edict that something was going to happen and their people not accomplish what the, the CEO said, mm-hmm. except for being more diverse and inclusive. Just wow. I mean, this this is a, a hand grenade from the, the second we get going the right way with, with, with Derek Walker. And Derek Walker is just an awesome uh, guy based in South Carolina, came out of the agency world, black American, who is just like not afraid to have the hard conversation. And, and we cover so much ground over the next hour and we needed an hour to get through it all. Well, uh, hand grenade, I think you just buried a landmine and like <laughs> walked right over it. I mean, it was awesome. I, you intentionally did that, I think. And, and Derek, you know, I, it really educated me. Um, I found it eye-opening, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed white boy from San Diego living in a bubble, you know, and just and being able, you know, just to hear some of the pain that African-Americans in the community has gone through and and just we get into a whole bunch of different topics and uh you know he's just honest and i think that's what we need more than anything in business and personal life and any relationships and in any way to heal and we talk about it all yeah i felt uncomfortable um in the right way during this episode and how could you not and and to your point i think He's just dropping knowledge bombs left and right. And and to be fair, it's all for naught if, if we don't actually like do something about all the changes that need to happen. So we cover white America. We cover black America. We cover the reality that some people could care less about change. And we also cover the fact that there are some of us, even with our differences, that we're trying to make things a little bit better thought Derek did a really nice job also of of putting us into the shoes of what it's like to to be black in America and to walk around this country. And so, um, you know, buckle in, put your seatbelt on. This is the right conversation to have. If you're a black man, you know this stuff already. You're going to be nodding to what Derek is is sharing. But for me as a white guy living in a bubble in a bubble in a bubble in Encinitas, California, I really just appreciated where Derek took us. It is February of 2021. We have a new president in the White House, and everything is great again. Don't you agree, Derek Walker? No. <laughs> no. Derek, we talked. No. I thought we talked about it. Everything is back to normal. Everything is fine now. You disagree? You white people are so cute. <laughs> 
you really are. <laughs> where did those, where did all those treasonous traitors go that stormed the Capitol? You see, the problem is, is they didn't convert or, or come to understanding that they what they did was wrong. They just simply went away. And that's America at its worst, is what we always do. It's where we go, oh, they're quiet now, so we don't have to talk about it. No, we've got a problem. You know, in four years, what if they run Trump again? You know, or even worse, what if they run that the young lady from Georgia? You, you got no. This is how we. This is how we never solve anything. We think, okay, everything's fixed. We voted in the nice guy. The fact that the Republicans won't call it wrong. We, we, we won't say storming the Capitol building, causing the death of, of a few people and doing how much damage to our, our democracy is wrong. You know, we gotta have a right and wrong. I'm sorry, I'm a black and white kind of person as far as some, certain things. Storming the Capitol is treason. If black and brown people had stormed the Capitol, we'd still be burying bodies. But these guys got to go home. They got to catch planes. We'd have been catching bullets. So no, we're not. No, 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 no. We we ain't nowhere near right yet. Yeah, this is and, this is this is what's called a uh, a Derek Walker. Like what I did was I took a metaphorical hand grenade and I threw it right in to break the world record of how fast can we just get to it already? And let me let me oh, let me do. You, let me do you proper, Derek. So, okay. So, uh, and Thompson, this is as much for you as anybody. Um, where social media is good, in my opinion, is when you find people on there that share your definition of logic. And you can't not talk about courage and Derek Walker in the same statements. And Derek and I, we're both copywriters. We've had very different paths to, to like where we are today. He's down in South Carolina. I'm in the in the in the, the southern tip of California. But when I saw when I ran into your stuff, Derek, it was you know I remember I reached out. I'm like, I love your I love your stuff. I love how honest and real it is. Yeah, I, you know, once once you get banished to South Carolina, you practically just give up caring. You know, where else can they send you but but Mississippi? And I ain't going to Mississippi. I I know some people think that's a great place to live, but not me. No. This this is like, you know, once you ban it, this this was the worst thing that could happen to advertising is me coming to South Carolina because I give no more copulations. You know, it's like, oh, this is what you're going to do to me. And the advertising gods are like, yes, your punishment fits the crime. OK, I'll be here. But let me tell you what I'm going to do. And you should have taken social. They should take social media away from me. That's what they should have done. I should be banished. I'm sorry. That's I'm just losing my mind. Lack of sleep does it. But yeah, I don't I know about that. Throwing, yeah, I, get, I know it, you were throwing the you were throwing a grenade, and I understood that, and I just played along. But that really wasn't me riled up about it. I want to get on the soft language of what we've done. We call that a riot, not treason. We call that a riot. You know, think about just this summer, what we call the Black Black Lives marches and protests. 
you know, we responded with with the, the National Guard and our, some of our most advanced anti-crowd anti equipment. There was in Florida, they used, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the sonic weapon. Mm -mm. There's, a, there's a new sonic weapon that the soldiers can stand behind it and point it at a crowd and it makes you physically ill. And I have never seen it deployed on the, on the on, I didn't even know states had them. This is a new weapon. And Florida, in one of the Florida protests, I was watching the news and I went, my God, they're using military grade weapons on peaceful protesters. These things can be turned up to where they can almost kill you with sound. And they, they deployed that in Florida, but not in Washington, D.C. It's so backwards, yeah. Derek. Yeah. You know, I, we can get into personal opinions here, but I think you said something, you know, at the beginning that just stuck in my head and you said, this is America as worse. Mm -hmm. What, what in your opinion is America at its best? I think after Kennedy died and Martin Luther King died, I, um, I think we were shocked into a point where we went, whoa, we've got some crazy people doing some awful things. And we actually tried to be better on a moral ground. You know, Republicans and Democrats called it wrong. If what scares me about today is if somebody was to actually assassinate the president, there's a group of Americans, a large sum of them, who would see absolutely nothing wrong with that. We have lost our moral compass. We, it ain't spinning, it's, we lost it. We have no, I mean, they were gonna lynch Pence. They built a scaffold to lynch the Republican vice president. That, you know, to, to, to get to good, um, I don't know if you ever saw the HBO show, The Newsroom. Mm -hmm. Remember the opening scene of the very first episode where the young lady asked, why is America great? And he just lashes out that America isn't great, but it used to be. Even at its worst in the 60s and the 70s, at least we had a conscience. And that's what we were sort of, that's what the protest against Vietnam was about. Our conscience was running up against our, our personal interests. This, this is like, we just, we've, we sold a piece of our soul. It, the constitution should be respectful. We all should be respectful of the constitution. It's not a perfect document. I love the fact that it can be amended. But look at the Republicans, they're throwing the, the constitution out. You're gonna change how people can vote to win. You're gonna cheat to win. These things 30 years ago were unheard of. Uh, I'm thinking about some of the, the classic, do you know, I wonder what they would have thought of Reagan today. Or, um, oh God, I, I, he ran the, the Republican from the Midwest who ran the, um, was a quarterback and um, he was, he worked for both Democratic and Republican, Republican um, administrations. Oh, he was a moderate. 
there's no room for moderates now. And on the Democrat side, it's not too much better. The young people that could possibly save the Democratic Party by restoring its soul is replaced by a bunch of old people, black and white, who want to run the game when the game has shown that it's it's corrupt. Yeah, yeah. let's talk let's talk about that for a sec because you know the moral compass is you know when we talk about courage and courageous actions, we talk it's synonymous with values. Mm-hmm. And you know, how do we, how do we get back to a place where values are leading the conversation? Because I think that's so important, not just, you know, in government and society and community, but for brands and, you know, personal values as well. Why do you think America lost its way and and where did values start not becoming as important as they used to be? Because you're talking about, you know, the fifties all the way back there. It seemed we like st- there was there was this compass, and it's it's not there right now. Or there are we, too many different values. Yeah, I think um, we've 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 turned to a nation of greed. You know, you know, you look at the people who are upset that student loans might be forgiven because they they didn't get their student loans forgiven. They they paid theirs off. You know. We're so much. We're so concerned with making sure no one else gets anything. And I don't know how we got here. You know, for minorities to do better doesn't mean that the the majority population has to suffer, and vice versa. But what what we can't do is look at CEO pay. CEO pay is what uh, nobody knows the number on how much it's it's quadrupled, but Look at the workers' pay. Minimum wage is still $7.25 or something like that. But we we justify that by saying these people should work harder. They're working 45 hours, 50 hours a week if they're not working two jobs. How much harder do you want them to work? And the idea, I'm just going to say this because it just crossed my mind. The idea that we tell people to, to work harder is this way, the American way. I stand to correct you on that. Black folks became here as slaves. We work for free. We are the hardest working people on this planet. And we have never seen success. Not the way we should. We're still poor as a, as a majority of our population is still poor and downtrodden. The resources aren't there. Because we pit poor black people against poor white people. At the, at the benefit of the rich. And we're selling this idea and the Republicans are selling this idea that look, if we, if we get in control and we get power again, we're gonna raise everybody up. You had four years of that. What did he do for the poor white people? Nothing, but that's greed. Um, how do we fix it? We haven't elected a leader in a long while who tells people the truth. I tell you what, Jeep, I'm going to talk about that real quick. Jeep's commercial at the Super Bowl failed to lead. We're not need, we don't need to meet in the middle. What, what middle is there between me and a trader? You know, I'm not one of those flag-toting, I'm, I'm not a flag-toting American. What I am, though, is a, a constitutional believer in America. 
this, what's outlined in the Constitution. And it's treasonous to me that you stormed the Capitol. So I looked at that Jeep spot to your point, and here was a chance for Jeep to draw a line in the sand and say, we have been with the American, we have stood with the American ideal from our inception. We were built for our military. And our military was built to defend and, and uphold the, the Constitution. And this is where Jeep stands. And all Americans need to move back to the Constitution. They didn't do that. They said, we're going to meet in the middle. What compromise is there in the middle? If I it, mean, it, it goes against the uh, exact opposite of everything we've also learned in this business, right? Like middle's yeah. never good. Uh, you know, look, the middle's not a good place to be, uh, in my opinion. It's if you no. made landed in the middle, then what what do you stand for? And and I, it's funny the way you put it because I remember obviously a lot of people do like the Jeep spots testing really well, according to mm -hmm. you know, but but in my heart, I I agreed with you. I felt like. Agreeing to the middle is like it's almost a compromise, and I always feel if you compromise, and you're compromised. It, it it didn't get to the root of the of the issue, and if it would have dug deeper and scratched a little further, maybe they could have gotten there. And I don't like to vilify brands on this show, but I agree. Oh, with you. I agree with you. I'm not. Here's the thing: What would have happened if I wonder how it would test if he had been in a mosque or a synagogue? Hmm. See, folks like it. We're still a majority Christian nation. But what if he had gone from house of worship to house of worship to house of worship to no house of worship? I, I found it kind of funny that you used a, a celebrity that's from New Jersey to talk about Midwest. You know, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I thought Bruce Springsteen was like New Jersey, ain't he? Well, born in the USA, let's let I'm sure that's probably where they went with it. But, mm -hmm. you know, to your point, like, it's funny, Derek, I, I pulled up. This is why Google's so good and dangerous. Like, I'm like, oh, what are what are if we treated America like a business? Right. Then it will start with the values. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is what pulled up quickly on Google, though. Uh, we've got we've got achievement. We've got individualism. We got morality. We have practicality. We've got equality and democracy and freedom. And um, you know, for the for those who are not seeing and they're listening, Derek is doing everything in his power not to like jump through his 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 slight smirk that's on his face because you know it seems like the obvious other question that you you have to ask right is okay. So now what? Like now what? Like what do we do? Like how do we how do we unite people? Like if we one of the things we keep coming back to for courageous Derek is like it's all about clarity and belief. And if people are clear then ho well hopefully if they're clear in one one direction you can create belief. Um, how do we create belief for America again? Let me ask I'm I'm sorry should we be united? I mean, until, see, we haven't, what are we united in? We have no common ground now as to what right and wrong is. So I'm, I'm and I'm not being funny or facetious about it. I just yeah. honestly don't know what are we united in? We can't agree on what the Constitution says. 
means. So before we can be united, we haven't had anybody to say, and we need, it's almost like you need bipartisanship from, from our, our government. We need our government to come together and go, this is wrong. When, when Kennedy was killed, when Martin Luther King was killed, what we saw were people of all, all walks went, this is wrong. When they saw the, pet, the marches at the Pettus Bridge, that it was, a, it was an idea that this was wrong because it wasn't just black people marching. It was white people and Jews and, and Native Americans. It was Hispanic folks. It was a, a, a hodgepodge of America being attacked. And somebody said, this is wrong. I know Biden wants to, to bring us back together, but has he said this is wrong yet? Mm. You know? We can't, what's that thing, what's the saying? The first part, the first thing is to, to admit there's a problem, mm-hmm. but we won't admit there's a problem. We, we went straight for unification and for, we have a problem. Identify the problem, say there's a side to this. There is a good side and a bad side to this. If you don't, these people went back to their homes and they're back to their militias and they're still practicing and arming up, thinking that they can change this country through force and not through votes. I don't understand what unity people are asking for because they hadn't dealt with the bad behavior. There's the courage. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're, you know, what if to your point, so when I say like clarity and belief, like, Land of the free. That's the problem, right? Like it's not free that we don't, not everybody has freedom, but what if we, what if the positioning was we rebrand USA as the unique States of America? Cause really it's the land of the unique. Like that winning to me is the land of the unique. When we accept each other for, as we are like what America, what, what I thought made America solid was when you brought you flooded this land with with different and it was the collisions of your perspective and mine in a uh calming (laughs) right like we were able to like like we would we could agree we could disagree but we could be civil about it and so if usa was the unique states of america and it's a place where we accept it's like austin got it right with keep austin weird like like that should be the whole thing. And, but for some reason, people feel threatened by different people feel threatened by unique. If things that don't look like them, we run away from when we should embrace that reality. As long as we have a, a, a um, standard or a baseline for what is acceptable, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm a parent. There's if you don't give kids a baseline, you might end up with Menendez being Menendez in your sleep. You know, there's got to be some. It's not funny. <laughs> no, it isn't. But you know, I mean, it, it's the it's the nature of the beast. A child without any morality, without any without a without any idea of right and wrong, turns grows up into what? We've seen it repeatedly. And I'm just talking human nature because we're ad people and we pretend 
that we understand what motivates and drives people. But let's let's talk about it. I mean, without us putting forth a message that we stand for something, as even as as different states, we still stand for one singular principle. And this principle is more important than our individual ideas and beliefs. It's got to be. But that's what scares me about what happened is a group of human beings in the United States of America decided their personal was more was bigger than the country. And that's, we haven't until, but here's the funny part. In the minority communities, we grasp this. We have been we have been buying into the American dream forever because we haven't burned this country to the ground. White people have gone through a period of upheaval and change where they're seeing their size and their power and their influence shift. And they practically burned the country down in four years. My people have been suffering through losing power and not being in power and, and a system that isn't fair or right for them for over 300 years. And we have never done what was done January 6th. Well, to your point, it would, it, would have been, it would have been a different outcome, yeah. as you stated. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm sitting here going, you know, from a black person's perspective, I'm going, shoot, they should have got their butts kicked. They, they have to have their, they need to be spanked because those few that won't change need to understand that there are, there are repercussions for starting a, uh, for an act of treason. It, there just is. I'm, I'm the son of a soldier. What if the soldiers had rebelled like that? You know, we would execute them. You know, federal insurrection is insurrection. But we're seeking unity with with those who started the insurrection. We did that after the Civil War, and look at how it turned out. You know, we ended up really with two countries. The South is still separate from the rest of the world. Come down to South Carolina and spend a little time and find out how far back in history you go. And I love, you know, I love the state I live here, but that's that's the reality of it. You know. Um, what we, and I, I, I'd rather, it does got to be better questions than this. Let me lead this along before I, I I'm, I'm. Well, I think Derek, like, I mean, you know, we're talking about things that we do in business as well, right? Like, because mm-hmm. leadership, you know, is so important, right? For the brands that we work on, the brands we work with. And like you said, I mean, greed has started to drive this country in the wrong direction. Maybe we can talk just a little bit about truth and truth and leadership. And you mentioned, you know, how important it is to have awareness to get to healing. And we believe that too. And and one of the things that, that we like to talk about is just, you know, put your fears on the table, because if you don't understand what the fears are, you can never have the confidence to move through them. So I think what yeah, we're just, seeing is, the, we, I'll say it for, for us as general, what we're seeing is the fear of loss of power and status. And nobody wants, they're saying it. They have, they have been saying it. You know, they want it back the way it used to be. But guess what, folks? The way back time machine doesn't work like that. We can't go back to it. Um, 
I like leaders, and here's here's where I, I take a difference with with a lot of people. We use the word leader, but I don't think we have that many of them now. Hmm. Not in the business world, not in government, not in social social organizations. Leaders in business would have addressed diversity and inclusion a lot different than the way they have. Mm-hmm. Leaders in leaders in business would have addressed the treatment of hourly employees a lot differently than the way we do. We would have addressed our drive for profit separately because it's self-destructive. You want to know what our greed looks like? Look at what these big companies do when they buy the small companies. Look at what what's happened to Whole Foods. You know, look at um, the quality of American-made automobiles. There, there's just so many things because we're chasing profit. We're not chasing, and. I had a friend. I have, I have a friend who used to be used to be a CEO. He used to say this: "My product is not profit. My product is advertising. If I do advertising well, we will make profit. But to do advertising well, I don't have to think about profit. I have to think about taking care of my people, protecting the work, giving the clients what they need, not what they want. And that's a leader. It's." we mistaken being popular and loved for being a leader. And I'm not talking about a Mussolini or Stalin or, or anything like that, but a leader has a vision that has to drag a, a drag an organization screaming and kicking sometimes towards that vision. Right now, name me three CEOs of any of the fortune 500s who are affecting real change, who are driving real leadership who's having who are having the uncomfortable conversations i'm i I've, I've only worked at ad agencies and and pizza hut and toys r us and radio shack and i've never met a ceo who when when serious didn't put out an edict that something was going to happen and their people not accomplish what the, the ceo said mm-hmm. except for being more diverse and inclusive. Mm. Imagine that these folks, your boss says, we're gonna be more diverse and inclusive and their workers are going, no, we're not. So how serious is the boss? Cause that's what they really are. They're bosses, they're not leaders. A leader would come back and go, you know what? I told you we were gonna move this way, right? Yes. Have you done those things to help us move that way? Well, I really didn't think it was what, what I wanted to do. You've got a choice. You will either move in that direction or you will move out. Well, I think a leadership and, is about role modeling it too, right? Like yeah. you're saying. And so, and, and culture, it's not about what you say. It's about what you it's do. What you, yeah. And so if, if you're not, do, if you're not walking the walk, then people aren't going to follow you because like, it's not aligning, right? There's not alignment. I, I want to pivot just to, you okay. know, y- your path and coming up through, you know, the ad world and, and working on brands. And then, you know, what, what primed you to start Brown and Browner? Um, desperation. I mean, I'll be totally honest. I, I was in my forties. I was 
part of a major layoff at a big agency, a big digital agency. And we talk about, and everybody that works in advertising knows, once you get in your 40s, you're aging out, you know? I had stayed longer than I thought a black man could stay at an ad agency because we age out a little faster. I mean, just quite totally honest. It, it's just, you look at us where we're at, we don't get to the C-suite. We don't get to the VP level. And that's what we're dealing with. So um, I got tired, you know? I, um, I was running from leading. I'll be totally honest with you, I was. Toys R Us and Pizza had trained me to lead. They brought me in to move up and to be in charge. And that's a different mindset. So when I got into advertising, the first thing I did is I laid that burden down. I don't, you know, I want to be a copywriter. I don't ever want to lead a, or manage a group of people ever again. Just because I found something I love doing, which was writing and creating. And leaders don't get to do that, you know? But when the last layoff came and I realized I could have to keep playing this in, in this uncertainty game, that it was time to pick it up again. And we were doing pretty good for, for a good time. I mean, I didn't want to, my, my vision for the agency was not to be big. My vision for the agency was to be good. And have a, a and to grow clients. I didn't want to go in and get a Procter and Gamble or a Coke or a McDonald's or an Apple or anything. I wanted to build one of those. That's to me, that's where the challenge is. Finding somebody really small and building them building them up to be something really big, you know, that's the Mount Everest, that should be the Mount Everest of advertising. And um, that's what I was hoping for. And reality was a little different, but you know, you make, you get lemons, you get make lemonade and lemon meringue pie. But you had a vision at least. Yeah. Oh, I've had a vision since um, I, I interned at an agency in Columbia, South Carolina called Chernoff, Chernoff Silver. And um, Marvin Chernoff had a vision that he communi communicated clearly. And he always placed his people before his clients. So when you're interning with him, he would sit down with you and say, let me explain why I did that in this decision, because I got to protect the team or I got to protect the, the quality of the work we do. And they had this, he had this marvelous idea that I'm still working on. One day, dear God, I want to pull it off. They had five years worth of salary, of, of operating costs, five years worth of operating costs in the bank. So when a, when a client tried to bully him, he was like, you can leave, take your business. We've got five years to find another you. And think about the freedom that gives the people working there and everybody. But he, to me, that was a leader because he planned out how to take care of his people. Mm -hmm. But he also realized his people were, were his main asset. It wasn't like he was just being benevolent. He was being smart. If your people are happy and comfortable and can create work without this, are we going to close tomorrow? Are we going to close tomorrow? Are we going to lay off? Take that stress away. What kind of work can people create, especially creatives?
I mean, uh, and I, I think everybody that works at an agency has a level of creative towards the job they do. So that he had that. And then when I went to work at um, Kramer Crassle, if you know Kramer Crassle, they got rid of Monster. They fired the client over a Super Bowl ad. The Super Bowl ad didn't do well in the USA Today poll. And the CEO was complaining publicly about it. And Kramer Crassle went, you can go away. You know, we're not doing this. We have been brave before. I've seen brave. So, you know, when I when I opened the shop, I was like, people were like, well, take um this is hard to say. People were saying, take diverse, take a take a take a, a portion of the black business. And I'm like, no. And the reason being is the portion of the black business is a sliver of the pie. When I was trained to want the entire pie. So why would I settle for 10, 15, maybe at the most 20, 25, 26% of the business and leave that rest out there for somebody who's not as good as I am or my team. So my vision was to open a Black-owned shop that is a general market agency that gets all the business. And I still don't think the world's ready for that mm. because it's hard. People think, people see me and go, I've actually had meetings with CEOs where they go, well, we're not doing any black advertising. And I'm like, that's nice because I'm not doing black. I'm not creating black advertising, <laughs> you know, but there, you know, there's a price to be paid for doing this. And I, 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 I thought I was prepared and I'm not sure I was, but I did it because my last evaluation, my, my, my boss said, I, it, on my evaluation, he wrote, I should be working for Derek. And I'm not prideful enough. I thought that was kind of nice and it was reassuring. But then he said, no, you don't get it. You know the business. And even better, you know how to manage people. Mm -hmm. And um, think about, you know, I would have been content to just work for somebody and, and create ads, but I know I can run. So I opened an agency. You know, I, the first half hour of our talk, it was about bigger things in my opinion than, yeah. you know, and then, and we're kind of coming into business here, but I do feel that uh, courage. We talk about the, there's a business part of this, but there's also like an emotional personal side. So the business, the business side, and this is a Bermanism and I get it. It's like, you know, I think we believe courage is a competitive advantage. Like when you actually unlock it and it's, it's not, oh. bullshit. but you know, same for you. Like you're, 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 you're a brave hunter. You're, you're paid to spot courageous work and, and to create that type of work. And it takes a long time. And that's, mm -hmm. that goes back to the Jeep conversation of stretching it further, but, but on the emotional personal side, I kind of had a light bulb moment maybe 18 months ago. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Courage actually makes me happier. Yeah. You know, when I actually go through the thing I'm scared of, you know, when I, when I left my last agency, 
I was terrified, but I also knew in my heart it was the right thing for me. It wasn't about what was right for anybody else, just mm-hmm. me. Um, and at first, as scared as I was, that fear going through it, like I do feel like I've come out the other side of it. So for you, what would make you happy? Like, like what is the ideal scenario for you? I'm happy as building brands. And I don't, I don't, don't, I don't know how to say it any better. I love helping people grow. You know, um, I'm so proud of my art director. This, my main art director right now. She's amazing. You know, so that translates into it. I, I want to deal with something. I want to touch on something you said about being afraid. I'm the only thing I realized I've ever been afraid of is succeeding. Hmm. I know how to fail. We all know how to fail. We've done that so many times, but the idea of success scares people. And that's what holds you back from doing things. And when I finally realized that was my fear, this whole doing this other stuff, you know, um, you asked what makes me happy and I, I, it's, it's strange. I'm happy every day because I know, I know what I'm afraid of. Um, so I know when that little voice says, don't, let's not pitch them. Let's not call them. Let's not talk to them. Um, that's my fear of being, what happens if I win? You know, what happens if I catch the whale in my dinghy? What, what do I do if I, uh, if in, in my little dinghy, I pull in the, in the well, how do I get it to shore? You know, that, that's, that's the part we don't talk about. You know, there's no map for doing, what happens when you succeed? If we succeed, what happens to our vision? If we succeed, what happens to our culture? You know, how does it change us to succeed? If we make an ungodly amount of money, what does that do to us? And that sort of, we don't think that scares us, but I think really and truly that's what keeps us safe. Because safe means we know where we are. And um, I'm done being safe. I I never was safe. I, I didn't, I never, I never liked being safe, but I didn't, I guess I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It just drove me to step out. So like starting the agency, I wasn't afraid of failing. I found myself going, whoa, what if I get that account? You know, maybe I shouldn't go after it because I'm not ready to handle that account yet. Not, not because I wouldn't get it, but because if I got it, I wasn't prepared to, to grow the business that way. I think a lot of us are, are, are teetering on, on our, our fear of success. You know, what happens if you do when you, you, you step out and I'll give you a prime example. And it's a good, it's the only simple analogy. If you walk across the dance floor and ask the most beautiful girl in the, in the, in the room to dance, what happens if she says yes? And you don't know how to dance. You know, interpretive dance, baby, interpretive <laughs> dance. <laughs> you know, 
And I, what I learned is there's a freedom in that, though, you know? So um, I have a, I, I have a, uh, in the spirit of courage, mm-hmm. I think that's what I know about the man, Derek Walker. Um, I want to challenge because I, I think it's not that you just want to help brands grow. I think you want to help people grow. And, and I, I think you're more than a builder. I think you're a leader and, and, um, knowing what you want to do with like the competition you want to build, which I'd love for you to take a few minutes to explain. And then in the spirit of helping people grow, I know we're getting close on time here, but you know, look, Derek, I'm a white guy that lives in a bubble and a bubble and a bubble. I live in Encinitas, California. It's like a snow globe in the snow globe. Right. And so help me grow. Like, you know, except there's no snow, it's sunshine state, but so you, you know, use, you choose wisely, which, which do you want to start with? Like how you know, it's, it's black history month. I know I want to be better. It hurts when you say you white people, right? For me, but it's, I understand it. You so, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. So like, help me, help me, like help me grow, help us grow, help the listeners grow. And then I also do want to find a way to talk about some of the amazing stuff you're trying to get off the ground. Here's the thing about, I mean, seriously, white people need to grow. Black people need to grow. Hispanic, Asians, all of us need to grow. You know, if you don't grow, you're dying. I'm going to be totally honest. But here's the, here's the part about this. It's overcoming the fear of being uncomfortable talking about our differences and having the conversations that really aren't cheerful or happy or you are bringing us together. We have to start with our differences. Um, when I look at success, my success is if I can make it through the day sometimes, and you know, sometimes for some people that's the same, but the, the, to your point, we're trying to get along better. We really and truly are as a group. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm being as sincere as possible with this. This is no bullshit. We're trying to get along as better. A group of us are trying to get along better. But I wonder sometimes if white men see black people. See, I'm not a tan black, I'm not a tan white guy. I am not. As as secure and as mature as I am in my position, just to see the blue lights come on causes my heart to skip. Um, I, I move through a, a store differently just because of how the world perceives me. You know, um, I have never been and never will be described as passionate about my, my craft. I'm always an asshole. I'm always stubborn. I'm always confrontational. But my white counterparts are graced with words like passionate, confident, you know. Until you see me and understand the burden under which I work, 
then you understand, you know, I say, I say things like you white people because it's, it's, it's to snap us out of this idea that I am just a, a toned white person. I'm not. I, I've got two boys, 27 and 26. I don't get any sleep because I don't know who's going to kill my children at a traffic stop. There's no peace in my soul because we haven't reformed our police. You know, there's a burden that we carry that nobody seems to want to hear or feel. And to, to, to be totally honest with you, that's what we're feeling. You know, George Floyd died eight minutes and 42 seconds of being choked to death in a video. And we were, we were upset and mad May, June, July, August, September. October, we started to remember it's going to be Halloween and there's going to be candy to eat. And then Thanksgiving's coming in November and then Christmas is around and New Year's is coming and the election and all of this stuff. And on my Twitter feed, no one's talking about Black Lives Matter anymore. Diversity and inclusion is, a, is an afterthought. But here's a newsflash. I can't be tired. Every day of my life, I just recently had to argue with a nonprofit because they hired me and a, a friend, my a white counterpart. They wanted us both to speak at the event and they quoted us different prices. You know, it's an onslaught, you know. Yeah, and Derek, and, it seems like it's it, like, one of the big things, if I'm going back to the beginning of our conversation, yeah, is avoidance. And like, if anybody's ever been through therapy and you talk about, you know, how to improve relationships, like the big thing is stop avoiding the hard conversations, the yeah. problems, put those on the table. And that's what courage is all about at the end of the day, at least for me, you know, it's, yeah. those are the fears but you have to get those in front of you. And like you were talking about when you went out on your own, you have to know what those are and you have to be willing and able to talk about those instead yeah. of avoiding the topic. And that's, that's what's happening. That's what's happening in our culture. Massive amounts yeah. of avoidance of accountability all the way down to, you know, avoiding, you know, the small conversations that have to happen in the boardroom to, you know, the, the individuals that are working together every single day, it's, it's easier to avoid it. It's easier just to avoid it. Or what we use, we use a, we use a, he, we'll cut that part out. No problem. You're fine. We'll give, cut okay. it. Give, give John something to do. Uh, I'm sorry. We use positivity. To, to enforce avoiding, avoidance. Let's stay positive. You know, right. keep, the, keep, keep the conversation positive. Everybody's got to feel good. But if everybody's feeling good, then have we really pushed us to change? You know, that's what- it, Who, who that's feels what good it, every day anyways, right? Like, I mean, you, like, even if you're happy every day, there, you yeah. go through ups and downs. There, I mean, it's just, you have emotions as a human being. Yeah. It's bullshit. 
And but but think about what we do that in the if you really look at our, in our businesses now, you know, this idea of everybody's got to be teammates and we work together. We don't handle conflict anymore. The, the way we handle conflict is avoidance. And the biggest avoidance is positivity. You know, you need to, I heard this and I wanted to yank the, the spine out of this person. Well, don't say any, don't criticize unless you have a solution. The people on the Titanic, somebody should have said there's an iceberg coming. The solution is to avoid the iceberg, but you know what? They didn't. They hit the iceberg. Once you hit the iceberg, you need to let everybody know you're sinking. Do, do you want me to come down and say, we're sinking? And you know, I go, I don't want to hear it. Not until you have a solution. How are we, how are we going to fix the boat? Tell me how we're going to fix the boat before you tell me we're sinking. There's an idiot, this stupidity. I, I have a disgust for that, that mentality. Because what it says, what it does is it stamps down somebody saying there's a problem. And I may not know how to fix the problem, but let me tell you, there's a problem. And maybe together we can work it out and figure it out. But what we do is we go, oh, we don't want to hear it unless you have a solution. What the? Huh? Isn't that what I got everybody else on the team for to help me figure out? You know, can we all just get together? Think about how we've, we've, what that does to dissent. What they're doing is they're silencing opposing voices. And opposing voices are never a personal, shouldn't always, aren't personal attacks. What they are is I'm saying, I see it differently from you. And you see it differently from me. If we listen to each other, then perhaps we can work it out. And if one of us happens to be right or wrong, hey, bless it. That's, that's how it works. But what we don't do, to your point, that's a, it's all avoidance. It really and truly is. We don't want to fight anymore. And I got bad news for people. Fighting in a business form is, is, is going to happen because people have different ideas. And to your point, um, bringing home the change, Ryan, in, in us is we need to understand that we see things differently. And I sometimes I think people hear that, but they don't feel it. You know, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, no matter where I go in this city, if I take a, a big check into a bank, it may more than likely lead to an encounter with law enforcement. So how do I bank? I have had the police call on me three times in this city from depositing checks, client checks. You know, how do I get you to understand that just my skin color is a threat? You know, if you don't see all of that, then you don't understand why I move through the world the way I do. Here's the flip side to it, though. Because I moved through a world where I'm a minority, I have always had to study how white men move through this world. Because the system set up to show me that that's how white men should move through the world. This is your privilege. So what happens is I understand more about the white culture than the white culture understands about me. 
because no one's ever said you need to listen to what the black culture is. You've got to do me a favor. I mean, the last few years, you, I love what you're doing, what you've been doing. For, I'm assuming you, you're doing this because it's Black History Month. Is that why you're amplifying voices from advertising? Is that correct? I just was I, I, in the past, before the three years ago, before three years ago, I was always um, do for the whole month, I would highlight a historical figure, black figure on Facebook. And my friends really liked it, but it was the whole idea is to help people know, learn new, 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 a bit of history. And I got tired of doing that three years ago. And I went, what can I do that's fun? And I was like, oh, I'm on Twitter a lot and I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Why don't I profile black professionals that are alive and, and working? Because that was around the time everybody's saying they couldn't find them. And um, so the first year we did, although February has 28 days, we did 31 because we had a couple of teams. And each day I do a different person and I wrote a profile for them. The hardest thing is formatting it for Twitter because Twitter has that 200 and something character count. Oh dear God, and these, some of these stories are long. Um, LinkedIn is a lot better. And so we did that for two years. So we did 31 people the first year. I think we did 32 last year. This year we're going to do 28 because this year is my last year. There are enough. I did it out of abundance, for not out of abundance, but out of a need because there wasn't anybody profiling Black people in advertising. But now there are all these um, lists and websites and everything. So I'm, I'm like, okay, I can go away now. I don't need to do this. And the creative in me is like, everybody else is doing this. So let's do something different. So this year I said, you know what? I'm not going to profile a person. I'm going to highlight a person and give them three questions. What work are you the most proudest of? Um, what would you change about the work and why? And the third is, how did we get, how did you get there with the work? You know, because we never ask people how they make the sausage. And so those three simple little questions, I didn't expect, dear God, people have been giving me war and peace. You know, I started in 1942 as a young, oh no, people. And formatting that into Twitter and LinkedIn has been just a joy. But it's, it's given me a chance to see some amazing work from some amazing people. I mean, I am really impressed. This, this is young so cool, man, Derek. This thank is you. awesome. You've got to see, as a, as a father, the young man that went, um, and I've, I haven't had any sleep because I'm doing these, so forgive me. But John Williams was day nine. So if anybody's going back, he didn't do any real work he did in drawing an illustration that he did of a photo his wife took of him with his baby boy on his shoulders. And you wanna talk courage. He opens up that his profile by talking about how all he ever wanted was for his father to love him and to say he loved him and he was proud of him. And he goes through this and I'm sitting there as a, you know, as a guy, you're sitting there and says, I'm not crying, <laughs> you're crying. But it's so cool to get these glimpses into people. 
because we see the work sometimes or we don't, or we see people's faces on social media, but we don't know what drives them to do. So I, I, this, this year, I thought we end on a bang and we did, um, we're going to do this. And um, Adweek stepped up and they've been profiling and posting each one of them. And I'm really thankful for that because it gives it a lot more exposure. Um, I think he was day five or six. One of the people has already gotten a job offer. Um, I, that's a side effect I wasn't counting on, but I'm so happy it happened. You know, um, I just knew there's these there's some great work out there that people never see, and it was like, okay, let's show folks. I tried to get some of the older people, but um, I couldn't get the, some of the, the living legends to do it, which would have really been cool to get somebody from the, the 70s or the 80s that's now retired to come in and show some of the work they're happiest about. But we're, we're doing it. and um, That'll be next year. That's what I was going to say. No, uh. no, it will no, well, no, it will not be next year. Well, we'll see about that. But uh, what I love about it, Derek, honestly, is if you think back to what we spoke about today, like you're helping people grow. And yeah. by the way, those people are going to help brands grow. So it's so cool that it all comes back full circle on like your purpose. And, uh, you know, look, this is this is the topic. This is it. Like we need to diversify. There's unique perspectives out there that everybody needs to start understanding. And I, I definitely have said this before, like diversity, equity, inclusion. It, it's, it's not about checking a box. It, it's about helping you think outside your box. And it's a collision of your stuff and my stuff where the best idea comes yeah. back. It's the Titanic example that you gave. So I, um, go check his stuff out, everybody at LinkedIn or and on Twitter. Twitter. Yes, sir. But um, it's been a joy. Thanks for coming on, Derek. Appreciate it. Man. Thank you. You're welcome. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment. If you like what you just heard, sign up for your weekly dose of courage at returnoncourage.com.